Do you want your business to grow faster? Are you open to new and out-of-the-box ways to drive revenues and increase value? How do you imagine the most successful entrepreneurs and business leaders double, triple, or expand their businesses tenfold or more? The answer is deals. This is a weekly podcast featuring conversations with business owners, executives, and leaders as we reveal behind-the-scenes details that give you, our listeners, the confidence to pursue your own deal-driven growth. On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the Deal Quest Podcast. Let's get started. Brendan Kumarasamy is the founder of MasterTalk. He coaches ambitious executives and entrepreneurs to become top 1% communicators in their industry. He also has a popular YouTube channel called MasterTalk with the goal of providing free access to communication tools for everyone in the world. Um, Brendan, so excited to have you on the DealQuest podcast. Hey, it's great to be on, Corey. Thanks for having me. So uh, listen, we're going to get into how what you do in communication affects deals uh, a little bit uh, down the line here. But uh, first, I want to take you back to when you were maybe 8, 10, 12 years old, growing up as a little kid. Um, what did you want to be? Because uh, my guess is training people on communications might not have been it, but, but who knows? Maybe it was. You tell me. <laughs> You'd be surprised to know, Corey, that when I was 12 years old in my yearbook, a lot of people wanted to be astronauts or stand-up comedians or doctors. I wrote down accountant. <laughs> on my on my yearbook. And the reason was because in my report card when I was in sixth grade, I was great at math and I was terrible at every other subject. So I just went online and I realized accounting. So I actually wanted to be an accountant. Oh, that's funny. And, uh, so, and you're uh, doing something a little different, huh? Yes. <laughs> um, uh, although as, as we'll talk about later, I guess some of the, some of the things, uh, uh, a little teaser in terms of what, um, Brendan does and helping people that relates to deals. Uh, there is some presentation of numbers that are part of that the decks, right? So uh, you know, maybe there's some minor tie in there, even though you're not doing the numbers. All right, one more question. Thinking back, um, what was your first deal of any type? It could have been something when you were small, when you were a kid, or you know, just anything that comes to mind. That oh, an early deal. It was probably trading Pokemon cards when I was eight, ten years old. I was I was a, a Pokemon card hustler. I would, I would always trade up cards for better ones to get those original collections. So that, that was probably the first deals that I can remember. And I was pretty successful in those, those deals. I, I love it. You know, it's, uh, it shows a general, generational difference because uh, in my day, it was pre-Pokemon. Uh, so it was baseball cards, you know, back in my time, it was baseball cards. And, and in those years, they actually didn't have 27 different uh, brands of baseball cards. You basically just had the tops cards with the, with the, with the stale gum. Uh, in them. So uh, <laughs> um, good stuff. All right. So, so, you know, we, we gave a little bit of your bio in terms of, you know, your YouTube channel and stuff like that, but let's talk generally. I mean, before we even apply it to deals, just more generally, uh, who are the kind of clients you work with and, you know, exactly what, what do you really do for them? Yeah, I would say as it relates to deals, a lot of my clients are primarily in the tech space for, for my deal ones, they're tech CEOs. They're generally raising venture capital pre-seed to seed. 
It's usually six to seven figure max. Or obviously the environments are changing now, so it's probably going to be a lot harder to raise seven figure seed rounds. But definitely in the six figure range, where a lot of them are really starting to build their story, where they're at a point where they've built some of the product, they have a pretty good idea where the direction of the company is going, but they haven't raised a dollar in their life. So that's probably where most of my clients are at. Great. And then before I want to really obviously focus there because of the nature of the podcast being a deals podcast, but just um, I want to give you an opportunity also like outside the deal space as well. What other type of communications do you work on, you know, people with and what types of clients? Yeah, I would say most of the clients, Corey, are, are mostly in the tech space. So outside of the deal flow, they're usually technology executives. So think individuals who are technical most of their life, let's say Amazon engineers who want to be in leadership positions. Their, their first language is generally not English. They do really well as contributors earlier in their career, but then they get blocked midway through where they can't get promoted to leadership without communication. That's usually my sweet spot for a lot of my clients as well. Great. Is it, so is the focus a lot of internal communication uh, or, is it, or is there external communication uh, as well? Absolutely. So, so I would say the focus is executive communication. It just, it's just applied differently, whether the client is a CEO or whether the client is an exec. So an exec, it's more around how do we build relationships better? How do we ask better questions and answer them calmly and confidently in the boardroom? And how do we present better to get the next promotion at work and the next opportunity? Whereas for the CEO, it's, it's the same content, but for them, the add-on is let's also make sure that when you present your pitch at a demo day competition, when you're talking to venture capitalists, that you're able to communicate what you do clearly, succinctly, but also in an inspiring way so that you're attracting new employees who could be working at Amazon and who choose to work for you instead in your tech company. That's great. So, and, and that's some same kind of skills, just circling back now to the deal focus right? When you're looking to raise capital, I mean, communication is, is key. You can have the greatest product or service, right? But if you can't communicate it and inspire, as you said, right? Investors as well. Listen, when you're talking about professional investors, even, even when we're talking about pre-seed, we're also, you know, we're often talking about, you know, sophisticated angels and other folks who are beyond, you know, your, your buddy from college or the friends and family around. So, you know, there's some level of sophistication. So yes, they're going to analyze numbers and, and all that kind of stuff. But you know, in my experience, at least, they, they do want to be excited and, and, and inspired about something as well, right? So the communication part is crucial. Oh, 100%. And I would say for, I guess, the biggest difference between the pre-seed and let's say the Series A round. So for those who are listening who are new to venture, how venture works, just really quickly, is when you start with pre-seed or seed rounds, generally the founder hasn't raised money. It's usually the first or second capital raise, or they join an incubator like Y Combinator and they get written their first check. That's usually how... It works. But then to get to Series A, which is a bit out of my expertise for Series A, but it's very simple to explain, is we we change, we transition a lot from what is the business to what results has the business gotten. So this is where they they transfer from writing a half a million dollar check to writing a check that could range. I mean, the numbers are ginormous, but it could go from like two to like 18 billion, depending on what the what the series A is. And that's a lot more metric based which is like, what's your numbers? How many customers? What's your churn rate? Like, especially if you're a SaaS business and what's your burn rate to, to cash that you're burning, right? So, so the metrics change a lot, but early seed, it's a lot more around the story and the founder and what the product is. Yeah, so let's talk like specifically what, so you have, you have a founder, you have a CEO, a tech CEO, you know, who may be brilliant, right? And has created a phenomenal new, whatever it is, right? App, SaaS product, you know, you name it, technology. 
Um, and, uh, you know, but but again, that's not going to alone raise them capital. Right. There's a lot of smart people out there. Um, so what is it that you do specifically in terms of training them? And then I also know you work on the pitch decks. Right. You know, so so talk, talk about how you help folks be in a better, better position to raise that first round of professional capital or at least or, or maybe I guess they, you know, they might have done a friends and family round maybe and raised a few bucks, but the, you know, the, the first material round uh, of money for their, for their firm. Yeah, absolutely. Corey. Happy to jump into that. So there's two parts to that one that's specific to tech CEOs and then I'll, I'll, I'll kind of widen it out for anyone outside of tech. So for the tech CEOs specifically, Corey, the challenge is this, well, let's start with the great news. They're very good at building product. Yeah. Very good at you know finding what are the gizmos, how do I create code around this, how do I create a solution around this. But they're not able to communicate their tech stack in a way that someone non-technical understands what they're doing and is inspired by what they're doing. Someone who does this really well in the tech space, to give a few examples, Nathan Blakarczyk, I think, is an expert at this. He's the CTO of Airbnb and one of the co-founders. So he built the entire stack, the entire website, the design. But... Even if he built all the technology, when you hear him speak in an interview, he sounds really simple. Like you can understand everything that he's saying. Right. But unfortunately, CEOs of tech companies who are getting started aren't able to communicate what they do because they focus too much on the feature set, like what's in the product versus what's the benefit to the end person. And how that relates to people in general, whether you're in tech or outside of tech, is a lot of founders get romanticized around, oh, this is my product and I love all of these little gizmos versus like the two or three features that actually matter to the end user and customer. And so so what do you do specifically to help them bridge that gap where, you know, because I, I'm guessing, right, and, and obviously I, I, have, I have experience working with some founders like this, um, although I don't uh, you know, specifically train them to communicate differently. Um, but, you know, I'm guessing there's a combination of just practical stuff like, you know, don't don't use all the industry jargon that nobody's going to understand. And yes, focus on the stuff that people care about in, in, instead of the 27 features that you love or, or you know, or, or things that you build. But also, you know, there's a, I, I always am interested in the mindset shift, right? You know, there's, mm. there's a mindset shift that's you know, even the greatest technician in the world to become that that CEO, to become that leader. Um, so talk to me about your thoughts on both ends of that. 100%, Corey. So there's three parts to this, because I think what's more unique about me is I'm a pitch coach and a communication coach. So I'll kind of give you like the three parts to that. So the first part is around mindset, where we coach them on where do they see themselves in the future. And I essentially tell them a story about make me a list of all the three tech CEOs that you admire. Except Elon. Elon's like the exception to the rule, but everyone else, Satya Nadella, Sundar Pichai, because a lot of my, my clients, they're not, they're not American or Canadian yeah. born. So they go through that and I was like, okay, well, they're all exceptional communicators. So it's creating that burning desire first. Because yeah. a lot of the founders, they have goals with their health, their career, their relationships, but they don't have goals with their communication skills. Yeah. So that's the first thing is establishing the priority. Because if they don't make communication a priority, as their businesses scale and as their enterprise scales, they'll have a hard time delegating the, the technical work they used to do to the people that they start hiring, right? right. So, so if you show them that the majority, the majority at least of super successful you know, folks who have done it have become great communicators or, or whatever, then at least they, they have something to relate to, something to shoot for. They have models. Yeah, I got it. 
Okay, great. Exactly. Perfect. Yeah. And then the second piece is around raw foundational communication skills. And then the third part is we're going to talk specifically about the deal and the pitch. Yeah. So the second part is really making sure they know how to communicate really well in general. So yeah. I like to use an analogy around storytelling to help us demonstrate this. You could tell the best story in the world, but if you talk like this and you speak like this, it's not going to work. Right. So for them, the priority, Corey, is for let's forget about the pitch for a second. Let's focus on what are the filler words? What is the eye contact and build that confidence over time? So the mindset barrier around I could be at a pitch, I could be the best person that in a competition or when I'm raising capital starts to break. And they believe internally that they can go out there and get the check done. So that's the second piece. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So you mean if I was sitting here looking down and saying, oh, Brendan, that's interesting. The podcast wouldn't be as exciting. <laughs> you got it. And you're a great communicator. That's why it works well, right? That's why your show <laughs> well, is. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's funny because I think from the time I was a little kid, uh, my, my teachers would say, if, if anything, they would say, maybe you should, you should shut up more, right? You know, not, <laughs> you know <laughs> and not really that. So, so yeah, I mean, and it's why me, you know, doing a podcast and stuff like this is a lot of fun, but I, but I totally get you know, a lot of folks, and listen, I have many clients, you know, because we work with a lot of, you know, startup companies, whether they're funded or not. And, you know, very often, right, the, you know, the entrepreneurs who start up companies are not necessarily these outgoing CEO types. Some, sometimes they are, but a lot of times they're, they're, they're whatever, they're good at what they do, whether they're technical founders or whether they're, you know, whatever it is, whether they make furniture or whether they, you know, whatever it is, right? Maybe they're finance people, right? We, we represent a lot of investment advisors, right? And they may be great at managing money, you know, uh, but, you know, maybe they're not great at now a lot, a lot of them that a lot of them are, are in that field are actually better because they they need to be client relationship people. So they, to get those assets, you know, but the point is that it's very common for entrepreneurs funded or not to be, you know, what Michael Gerber would consider a technician, right? As opposed to, you know, uh, so yeah, they got to make that shift. So, okay. So, so let's get to the third piece. No, I, I completely agree with you. And just to build on that as well, Corey, and this is what I tell them, and I'm sure you tell your clients the same, is the difference between being a, a technical superstar at a big tech company and make half a million with equities and the base salary on top versus being the entrepreneur is when you're an entrepreneur, you control all, every part of the value chain. So yes. when you're in when you're in an organization, you're getting paid to do one specific algo for one specific project. You might have five of them, but you're not getting paid to do sales. But because your skill set is so highly valued, they pay you a lot of money for it. But when you're in entrepreneurship, you got to do the whole thing. You got to do sales, delivery, marketing. You got to do all of, you got to put all of those hats on until you can hire them out, which won't happen until you hit product market fit anyways. Right. So that's, that's the other piece. Yeah. So, so now going to part three. So now at this point, this is the pre-work, what we talked about earlier, where yeah. we build up that confidence for them to feel like, oh, I'm a really good communicator. Because once they, they get that barrier across, it's super easy to do the pitch yeah, at yeah. that point, because yeah, yeah. then they have that confidence. So let's go into the pitch. So what happens with the pitch? So I'll give a couple of tactics. So I keep it simple in the tech space where I'm from, where the pitchers are short, they're sweet, and they're effective. Yep. So, so I always like to focus on the positive, which is this. You only need five minutes to win. Okay, so three to five minutes. If you know how to explain everything, three to five minutes, not a big presentation, you're good. So we optimize one minute at a time. So what I do is I sit down with them and we go through each part, which I'm sure you've talked about on the podcast, problem, solution, how it works, competition, traction. I'll explain traction really quickly for those who don't know. Traction just means explaining progress. How much progress have you made? Because what I tell them, which I'm sure you talk about as well, is you want to create 
this ability of FOMO, right? The fear of missing out. The number one reason why VCs invest in another company, and some people don't know this, which surprises me, is because other investors have written a check already. Like, right. That's the number one. Which reason. is which is why getting that lead investor is always the big thing because once you get the lead, especially if it's a lead that's known, you know, then it makes it a lot easier. Sure. Absolutely. Right. So that's why traction, and this is something that's missed on all sides of the bar, whether you're in tech or not, people are, don't do a great job communicating traction, especially in their early stage, because they go up to, to me or you and they say, oh, well, Corey, Brenda, I only have three customers. I only have this. I only have this. I was like, uh, this is good traction. I, I was working, I'm working with the CEO right now, Corey, who goes, I don't have any traction. I was like, try me, brag a little bit. She's like, I raised 1.5 million in nine dilutive capital. I was like, you didn't give up any equity for 1.5 mil. How do you not have traction? Like it's, like, <laughs> it's crazy. But even if you're listening to this and you have a thousand users, you got to communicate the traction. Why? The reason is because you want to give the illusion that you're rocket ship taking off with or without the person's money. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how you get people excited. And then you close with the vision state, which is, this is something that's more textbook, Brendan, where whenever you close a pitch, you don't want to just summarize and make an ask. You want to start painting a world where all of your ideas come to life. Mm -hmm. So what does that world look like? Help your investors imagine that. So they're bought into you, the jockey, because 80% of the decision, even if some people might not like me telling this, The truth is venture, especially early stage, Corey, is a gut feel. Like, sure, you can have numbers, but it's so early in the game that you're really betting on the human being behind it, the jockey. So if people are excited by your vision, you win. Yeah, no question. And listen, uh, any kind of uh, experienced, you know, early pre-seed investor, whether it's, you know, the pre-seed funds or the angels or whatever, I mean, if if they've been there before, they know at that stage it's likely that company is going to pivot one, two, three, four, five, or six times, right? So whatever they're pitching that is not going to be what they will ultimately end up investing in anyway. And so if you don't have confidence in the jockey, you know, in the person, in the founder, and the, or whatever level of management team they built at that stage, which is usually not, certainly not a full management team, but any other key players, you know, then, you know, because, because really what they want to have confidence in is that you could as the market tells, as you, you know, as you figure things out and, and as things don't work and as you have to pivot, that they're going to have confidence that you're going to be able to figure that out. A lot of people have the misconception that they're, you know, I can't tell you how many times people say to me, I have a great idea, right? In fact, I was going to, there was one time I was going to write an article. I never wrote it, but I, but I've talked to people about this. The title was going to be, you have a great idea and I don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really, I mean, it was a little extreme because I'm not saying the idea does not matter, right? I mean, it matters, but people think it, it's the only thing that matters. And, and the truth is, you know, in large part, without the other things available, at least, and certainly, you know, who the jockey is, so to speak, you know, nobody cares. It doesn't matter. It's an idea. Oh, I, I, actually, I actually think you're not extreme at all, Corey. I think you're right on the I think you're actually under. <laughs> I would say it the other way. Yeah. Like, like, let me reemphasize your point because I think it's so important because people don't get this. And I'll give you the best example with Apoorva Meta from, from Instacart. Like Instacart, the idea of delivering groceries existed before. It's just people don't know it. They don't look at the graveyard of startups before. They just look at the success. Webvan was a thing, right, in the late 90s, early 2000s. But the timing was wrong. People weren't even willing to buy books. Jeff barely had 
I mean, Jeff as in Jeff Bezos from Amazon could barely get people to, and you were in that era, so you know that, right? Could it could barely get people to buy books? You forget groceries. The timing was completely off. So they failed, even if they raised a shit ton of money. But that's one piece. The other piece to help uh, prove the point that you were driving around the jockey is, once again, people don't know this either, like Slack, Stuart Butterfield. Before Slack was a messaging platform that sold to Salesforce, it was a video game. (laughs) <laughs> right? Like, right it was a video game that was going bankrupt and then Stuart looked at his engineers and he saw an opportunity with the messaging platform they had built in the video game so they brought it out twitch twitch that sold to amazon was called justin dv right it's michael siebel and justin khan and emmett had like a camera on justin's head and that was the initial right. it was idea. just like a live streaming early live streaming you know kind of right yeah, yeah. At, an airbnb right like the initially the idea was like no 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 everyone has to have breakfast in bed at like at every like airbnb that's why it's called bnb because it's breakfast in bed that was the initial idea so yeah you're absolutely right on that let's take a break from the show for a minute so i can invite you to a new way to determine your deal readiness i created a fast and easy assessment that will determine exactly how deal ready you are once you complete the assessment i use your responses to identify the obstacles that are holding you back from being a deal-driven growth genius it's as easy as heading to coreycupfer.com slash assessment. That's coreycupfer.com slash assessment and filling out a few multiple choice questions. I'll be checking in after the episode to see what your results are. Now back to the show. All right, so let's delve a little more into uh, you know the pitch and the pitch deck. You know, what are the kind of things that people um, need to have in there? What are the mistakes that people make? Like, you know, wh- wh- where do you have to shift their thinking around what the hell they're presenting that, you know, give us some, some insight there. Absolutely. So let me give a, an easy to implement principle and then let's go into granular and the pitch Corey. So, so the principle that I would share with people, and this is the biggest mistake I see founders make or pitching is they don't implement an exercise that I call question drills. So question drills are very simple, Corey. All you have to do is you put yourself in a situation where you're with the toughest audience you can imagine who just ask you hundreds of questions. I'm not exaggerating that number, hundreds of questions about your business until you have an answer and a backup slide for everything. And it shocks me that most people underestimate this and they think that, oh, I have a great product is going to work. But most people don't get, Corey, is that the investing community is a very small community. So you might think that if you mess up a pitch, you'll be fine the next time. And that could be the case. But what I would recommend is assume that if you screw up once, you screw up all around. Right? It's a small community where it gets around, et cetera. Correct. So the question drills, and it also comes back to a personal example. Why is it that I have so much expertise at such a young age in this specific demographic? You're probably wondering internally. And the reason is because when I started my career, I had people ask me five, 600 questions about communication and public speaking and venture until I had an answer for everything. So that's the key is CEOs need to be a lot more diligent. So that means tactically, if you want an easy win, it's every day, book five minutes in your calendar. Everyone's got five minutes. You've already invested what, like 24? Listen, to us so you can invest five. So in this five minutes and just ask yourself every morning, what's one question that somebody could ask me in my business and then spend four minutes reflecting on the answer. If you do that once a day, Corey, five minutes, that's all I ask for. For a year, you'll have answered 365 questions about the business. It's just Great most people tip. aren't willing to put in the time. Great tip. And listen, this is, you know, folks, listeners, you can see a parallel to some of the things that I talk about, whether it's, you know, uh, preparation for negotiation, you know, and this idea, uh, you know, one, one of the, uh, I've said this before, but I'll repeat it. One of the blessings and curses of entrepreneurs are that, you know, we 
a good enough a feat, right? Now we're talking about communication. Some of these tech founders aren't aren't necessarily good on their feet in terms of communication, but still they have confidence that at least, you know, in, in what they do, you know, that they can they can roll with it, right? And it, I'd say at times grounded and at times even misplaced confidence is actually a good thing because you need that kind of attitude to to be crazy enough, right? To be an entrepreneur and 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 build something. And it's the reason why most people don't do it, right? But at the same time, that can come back to haunt us because we often in various situations, whether it's negotiating, whether it's preparing for raising capital in a pitch, you know, or, or even just be, having our business be successful, you know, we, uh, and because we're busy, right? And we're doing all those different jobs that Brendan <laughs> mentioned earlier, it's easy to, you know, skip on the preparation, right? And it's it, for anything that's big, whether it's raising capital and negotiating any kind of deal, you know, the pr- preparation is the number one first thing you need to do. So you and I are very, very aligned. So keep going. No, absolutely. Excellent. I love it. I love it. So, so the next piece, because I always like to say the, the people people don't talk about enough, is unique founder point of view. So I always like to explain the investor perspective, then let's go back to the founder. So the investor perspective is this, Corey. It's that every, like the VC who's seeing deals all the time, they're going to see the same idea over and over again a lot of the times. So the difference actually isn't the idea. The difference is the jockey behind the idea. And a lot of founders don't realize this. So the most important part of the pitch, the pitch is important, but the most important part is the 25 minutes after the pitch is over, where they just ask you questions of where you see the world. So if you can't defend your point of view, let me give you a huge red flag that would kill a deal right away. Maybe people would want to hear that. Is if an investor makes a recommendation, hey, did you think of this? And the founder goes, oh, that's a good point. That's really scary to an investor. Because if I know more about the business than you do, you're done. There's no way you're going to win. Whereas what the best founders do, and Mark Andreessen from Andreessen Horowitz, the founder of Netscape, explains this so well, is that oftentimes the best founders, oh, oh, for those who don't know, Andreessen Horowitz is one of the biggest venture capital firms in the world. So what Mark says is that the best founders often are always listening to different ideas, but they're a bit kooky in their own point of view of the world. Because, and the reason is because they spend so much time in the business that when an investor who hasn't spent even like a 1% of the time that they have, they get annoyed. That's what usually the best founder, you just got to do it in a nicer way than the crazy people do. So I'll give right. an example. Let's say an investor goes, hey, did you think about X? The best answer a founder could give that's more PR is like, yes, we've explored that, but we, and here's why these three things, why it doesn't work. And this is the answer instead. Whereas if I'm not seeing that from the founder perspective, if I don't feel like the founder knows more about their business than I do, then there's no way I'm going to write them a check. Yeah. 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 Right. Because what are you, what are you investing in that? Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Good right. stuff. All right. What else? Right. And, and there's a buildup on that as well, is that the best venture capital firms will ask you really hard questions about your business that you probably haven't thought of yet. Like they'll go like, OK, you mentioned that your web streets are how will this technology impact this? What about this specific company that's in my portfolio? So they'll start asking you a bunch of these questions. So think of the question drill exercise, not just as a way to bulletproof your deck which is what I call it, but also see it as an opportunity to bulletproof your thought process Mm. and where you're actually going. Because if you sound like you don't know where you're going, even if you're early, they're not going to bet on you. Yeah. So that's the key. Specificity is everything. Yeah. And and listen, I was was just going to say, you know, you know, this is such a classic thing in so many areas. And that is, you know, whether it's, whether it's how companies brand, you know, or whatever it is, 
you know, every expert in, in any of this, right? And one of the things you're pointing to is, is to have a point of view, right? To have a clear vision, a point of view, and, and willing, being willing to stand behind it. The reason a lot of folks don't do that, it's the same thing on having, you know, a clear niche in your brand. Like, uh, you know, there's a reason why I have the Deal Quest podcast, right? We do other things other than deals, right? We do all kinds of contracts and corporate work and blah, 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 whatever. You know, I could have a general entrepreneurial podcast. I, I swim in that world. But um, I love doing deals, right? It brands me in a certain way. It is a big part of what we do. And that's not all what we do. That's just a small example. And my point is that a lot of folks get afraid, right? Whether it's just in, in terms of their branding that they're going to limit their opportunities, right? If you have a clear point of view in raising capital, there are some people who are going to, some investors who are going to disagree with that point of view and they're going to opt out. And people view that as a bad thing, but it's actually a really good thing. Um, you know, to have people be able to make a clear decision in or out because you have a clear point of view. At least that's in my, my view. No, no. I mean, we're 100% aligned. And, and the tech version of that, Corey, you know, Peter Thiel talks a lot about this in his book, Zero to One. Peter, obviously, as you know, is the CEO of PayPal, worked at the time with Elon and started a bunch of cool companies. And what he said in his book, which is absolutely true, is that the best ideas often have a small majority. So what does that mean? That means most people think it's a stupid idea, but a very small percentage of people think it's this is the best idea ever. And usually what you want is that, because if, if, if everyone agrees it's a great idea, it's probably a terrible idea because it's already been done before and it didn't work. And if everyone, like 100% of people think it's a terrible idea, it's probably a bad idea. Right. So, so it's, you want kind of like that 98-2, right? So, so going back to this, the other piece to, to pitching that, once again, I feel is missed, especially with technical people who are getting started with pitching, is they try and pitch the deck all at once, which I think is a big mistake. Mm-hmm. They kind of do their five-minute pitch, and then they just pitch. Wrong. What I do is I like to do section by section. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I always like to start with traction because traction is actually, I know this is really weird. You probably think it starts with the problem or with my approach. Mm-hmm. I like tractional because it's easy to write. Okay, so like, what can you brag about? So I could just sit a founder down and write out the traction section in like two minutes because they'll go like, I raised this, I did this competition, I did this, and I just write it quickly. And the reason I like starting with traction, I know it's a bit counterintuitive, is just because it helps build momentum for the founder. Oh, like my traction is done. That's like a perfect traction section. Whereas I think what a lot of people do is they're half-assing all the sections. They kind of do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And then what they have is just terrible instead of making every little section perfect and then putting Mm -hmm. all those pieces together. Mm -hmm. So I would go to traction. And then after the next easiest part of the deck to write is team. People should obviously know who they are. Like, why are they the jocks? Why do they care? (laughs) And then after those two sections, then I go to the beginning of the pitch. Then I go to the intro, the personal story. I debate them. Is this the right story that we should tell? And then the last piece, as we're optimizing each bit, this is actually not well understood either, even if you're not in tech, is the idea that even if you have one pitch, it could be for different purposes. So I'll give you a simple one in tech. The theatrical pitch versus the informal pitch. This is what I call them. So the theatrical pitch is it's very formal. You're part of Techstars. You're in, you're in Y Combinator. You're in a big incubator and you're pitching like you're a celebrity in front of, like you're an actor in front of uh, whatever, 5,000 investors, 500 investors. Right. But the other part is the informal pitch. So the informal pitch means the investor sees you at a demo day or gets a recommendation and meets you for coffee. So obviously, that conversation, you're not like, so seven billion. <laughs> right, right. What big big gestures and you know, whatever, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. So so the advice I have 
because I feel the tone is not well understood there in terms of how people transition from deck to deck, is yeah. don't worry too much about these versions. I always like to say, start with the theatrical one first because it's funner to do, funnier. Yeah. Like a, It's more interesting. I used the wrong word in English there. But it's more interesting for you to just get like, do make it theatrical, start with that. But then when that's perfect and it's bulletproof, then translate the informal version of the theatrical pitch in your informal coffee chats when you're actually raising money. Yeah. And, and the other thing that I would say, and I'm wondering, I, you know, it's funny, I'm thinking about an example of this, but, you know, is also be able to pitch without the deck and, you know, uh, without having the deck. Right. Love that. Um, you know, I, I, um, a lot of people, uh, and if you haven't, it's, 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 it's old at this point, but, uh, but I, the first podcast that I ever listened to, we had Alex Blumberg come to an EO event, um, I don't know, six, seven years ago, whatever it was, um, uh, you know, who founded uh, Gimlet Media, who uh, has now sold that for, a lot of money, but, but it was, he did a, uh, a podcast called startup and it was a podcast about starting up his podcast company. And he had been a, he had been a, it's, it's, it's actually really great. It's very meta, right. But it's, it's yeah. shows you the entrepreneurial journey. And, um, and he, he was an NPR, you know, public radio producer, right. So he had no, he had a lot of experience in doing what is effectively the same thing as a podcast, right. Long, long form, uh, high content podcast, uh, because that's what, you know, public radio is. But he had no clue uh, how to run a business. He had no clue how to be a founder. And he actually recorded his whole journey, like conversations with his wife, with his team. And one of the things he recorded was a pitch with, with one of the major uh, VCs, right, where he had an opportunity to go in. And, and, you know, he had his whole thing prepared. And he had his deck, whatever. And, uh, and the guy said, uh, let's take a walk. Talk to me while we're walking. And he was like, uh, 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 like you know, like like he didn't have his slides. It was his first major bench. He had, like he was totally thrown off, you know. And he and he blew the first one. He ended up coming around and having another shot at it. But um, but in any case, so uh, yeah, you never know what circumstance you're going to be in, right? <laughs> I love that example. I'm actually going to use that with my clients. It's really good. I completely agree. I love the way that you messaged that too. Is and it's a great quote from a Navy sales guy. I forgot his name. But essentially what he said is that we never rise to the level of the occasion. We always default to the level of our training. And this is why I'm a big advocate of Kevin Durant's quote, which is hard work beats talent when talent fails to work hard, which means do the harder thing outside of that room. Make your simulations more vicious because your company is on the line, especially in the environment. I'm sure you're, you're having episodes to talk about. The environment you're entering now where interest rates are rising, a lot of the late stage capital like Tiger and all of these firms are starting to wind down and they're not as aggressive as they used to be giving out turnships like butter anymore. So right. now you know the, the environment's starting to look a little bit more like, not yet, but it's starting to happen. So I think the key is like, we need to take this fundraising game more seriously, which means I'll give you a quick, easy example to kind of explain this. This is a weird exercise that CEOs don't get why I forced them to do this. And it's called the random word exercise. So essentially what you do, Corey, is you pick a random word like phone, like avocado, like toast, and you create presentations out of thin air, mm. right? So a lot of C-suite, when they listen to this, they go like, this is childish. Why would I ever do this? And then my response is always, if you can make sense out of nonsense, you can make sense out of anything. And trust me, when you're in that room, they're going to ask you something that you have no idea how to get out of. So if you can talk about bananas for 45 seconds, <laughs> you could probably figure out whatever they throw at you. Because regardless of the number of practice sessions you have, let's say with me or like with your friends or your family or people, there's always going to be some question that you just won't have an answer to. 
hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and listen, sometimes, I mean, I, um, I have a couple of interview questions when I interview folks that I actually got from Zappos. Um, I actually won't share them here because I don't want people to be prepared for them when I'm interviewing them in the future, but it's not, they're not, they're not the kind of interview questions that anybody would ever really prepare for. Right. And the value of that is you get to see how, how somebody reacts on their feet. Right. With not like because an interview is a great, uh, you know, I think there's some parallels to pitching. Right. An interview is something that people you know prepared for. They, you know, they you ask them whether you see themselves in five years. What's their biggest strengths and weaknesses or whatever they have. I mean, they've rehearsed those answers forever. Right. But if you ask them a question that's totally seems out of left field. One, you're going to get to see how they react on their feet, you know, and think on their feet, you know, and two, you actually get the more real, you get a more real answer. You get to know the person, you know, better than, you know, if, they, if they're in their pat answers. So, you know, I think that's something that, uh, you know, that, that VZs try to do as well, because they're trying to get under the prepared, you know, pitch to really find out who that jockey is and, and whether they have confidence in them. So no question. Absolutely. And, and let's go to like to, to the most granular piece, because you said something really fascinating around how people react to questions. Because And this is what people don't get. Obviously, it's hard to see through audio. But if you get asked a question that you don't know the answer to and you react in a calm way, you'll be fine. But if you go like this and you move your eyelids, people yeah. will go like, because the, from the investor's perspective, it's like, brother, if you're or sister, if you're worried about this question, how are you supposed to build a technology startup? Right. And I'll give you another piece that's that I'll reveal since I don't use this in my interview process is and I want your questions after because I'm curious. I will, I will. I've, I've studied Zappos a lot. So I, I'd love that. But Jason Citron from Discord said something fascinating. One of his interview rounds for senior level people is when they get really advanced in the rounds, they go to a restaurant. But the goal of the restaurant isn't actually to interview them. The goal of the restaurant is the round is to see how the prospective candidates react with the waiters. I found that was so fascinating. So that literally has nothing to do with what they're saying. It just matters. Is that person focused on the waiter and treating them correctly? Or is they focused on just Jason because he's the CEO of the company? I thought that was really fascinating. Yeah, I've heard that. And I love that as well, because, yeah, it's telling on how just people react to other people, whether they, you know, I mean, whether they, you know, treat people with respect, whether they think they're superior, all that kind of stuff, right? All right. I want to hit one more thing because it relates to something you said earlier before we um, close up with the last couple of questions. Um, But you said something that you, a lot of the founders and execs you deal with are, um, English is not their first language, right? They're from other places. And so, you know, there's a whole, I mean, I know we could spend like just hours on this topic, but talk to me a little bit about how the cultural differences, right? And the communication differences come into play because uh, I am not an expert in it, uh, but I definitely touch on it in my negotiating training and point people to research, you know, to resources where people really talk about the cultural aspects because it's absolutely crucial there. Um, You know, and there are additional things that come into play, right? for folks that are, uh, you know, whether it's language or certainly culture when it comes to the way they approach business and pitching, especially when they're, you know, if, they, if they're from another place and they're pitching U.S. investors or, you know, sometimes it could be the other way around, right? You know, I have some clients who, you know, pitch some foreign investors and, you know, they, they don't understand that, you know, if you're looking to do a deal with, let's say, the Japanese, it's a very different, you know, thing than, than, than pitching to, a, to American investors. 
Uh, absolutely. So to keep things really simple here, Corey, I would say the biggest difference in a first language, second language, and for those who are listening, don't worry, I'm empathetic. I speak three. I speak English, French, and, and Tamil, so I completely sympathize with speaking in a second language. So what I've realized from experience, to your point, there's two major differences between the first and the second language. And those two differences and one you talked about at length is culture and the second is vocabulary. So mm -hmm. vocabulary and culture simply means this, because we grew up in the culture that we learned our first language, we understand the nuances of that culture. But when we translate words and syllables and all that stuff into the language we need to speak it in, let's say a quote that makes sense in Spanish, but makes absolutely no sense in English, or words that we know are in French, but don't make sense in English, when we try and translate that, that's where we run into problems. So how do you fix this? It's actually a really easy question. I have three steps to this. The first step always, especially in the context of pitching, I highly recommend founders write the first draft of their pitch in their first language. Mm. And the reason is because it allows you to perfect exactly what you want to say, how you want to say it. Whether that first language is Hindi, Mandarin, English, right? In English, I guess you won't have any problems, right? But Mandarin, et cetera, mm. do it in your first language first. Because that way you'll, you'll say exactly what you want to say. Part two is translate that script into English. Yeah. So translate all of it into English and then practice this. But then we go to the part three. This is the one that's missed by founders, Corey. Part three is do what I call a vocabulary test. A vocabulary test simply means this. Present your pitch, your solution to someone whose native language is English. I'm a good example of this. You're a great example of this. So that me and you, let's say we're sitting in a room together, we can look at somebody's pitch and just easily, because for, for us, it's easy to catch. Hey, by the way, this sentence, you can't say that in English. You have to say this instead. But right. if you fix that in one pitch, they're fixed for life. And yeah. then after that, you're on fire. Love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah. And obviously, there's so much more we can say on that. But I think that's you know a great tip. And, you know, and, and listen, we've had, I mean, I've told stories more in the negotiating phase, you know, where we get cultural consultants sometimes, you know, to help clients with deals because, you know, there are many, many faux pas you can, you, know, you can make. The great part about, you know, preparing for a pitch, like you said, is that you can prep it in advance and, and, and vet it through folks, right, who can help you say, I don't understand what that means in English, or that's not the way we say that, or, you know, hey, uh, awesome, awesome. All right. So um, before I ask you my last question, Brandon, um, where can people, I mean, we mentioned your YouTube channel earlier, but in general, where, where can people find out more about um, all the great services you provide? Yeah, absolutely, Corey. What a pleasure. Thanks for the conversation. So two easy ways. Number one is the YouTube channel, right? Master Talk in one word. People can check out hundreds of free videos. And the second way for those who are interested in coaching, you can go to Rockstar Communicator. Dot com. So we host a free training every few weeks over Zoom and you can sign up for one of them. Folks, definitely check that out. If you're you know, driving or whatever, don't worry about it. All the links will be in the show notes. And listen, I, I think, you know, I've been impressed with all the great information that, uh, that Brendan's bought. And this is, in my mind, some of the best money you could ever spend, you know, because if you're going into a pitch, especially if you're a technical founder for or even anybody, right? Your ability to communicate, uh, you know, can make the difference between raising that capital and not raising that capital, you know, uh, or raising additional capital, whatever it is. So um, definitely check out, you know, um, all that he has, has to offer. Um, my final question, Brendan, on the podcast is always about my highest uh, value in life, my highest ideal in life, which is freedom. And for me, that means everything from freedom from all people in the world, from oppression to um, why I've been an entrepreneur for decades and uh, haven't had a boss, right? Um, so what does freedom mean to you and how does it impact your life and business? 
Yeah, absolutely, brother. For, for me, freedom means uh, being able to make a decision on how we spend every second of our life. And I think what most of us miss is we think freedom means making half a million dollars a year. But yeah, if you're a banker on Wall Street making half a mil and you're working 90 hours a week, are you really free? So yeah. I would say for me, it's really, it's not really around, I can make 50 grand a year and I'd still be happy. Is am I able to look forward to everything that's on my calendar? And if the answer is yes, which it is today, I, I consider myself free for sure. Awesome. Awesome. Brendan, thank you so much for being a great guest on the Dillquest podcast. Thanks for having me, Corey. Great show. Thank you for joining me on this episode of DealQuest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. I want to invite you to a unique way to tap into the wisdom and experience of the DealQuest community. Join the DealQuest Deal Den Zoom calls, a free monthly 90-minute mastermind. In the mastermind, we address all the challenges you may be facing and help support you with the opportunities that may arise in terms of deal-driven growth. You will get input not only from me, but all the members on the call will collaborate and serve each other in a mastermind format. To sign up for the free mastermind, go to www.coreycupfer.com slash dealden. That's coreycupfer.com slash dealden. I'll see you there. I'm Corey Kupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.